I don't have very often the opportunity to interact with people who are not Christian. Um, because of who I am, most people, when they hear the word pastor, clean up their act real quick and then pretend. I, I've already given my. I have, I promise. Um, so, in my world, I interact with Christians mainly. And every so often, God crosses my path with a non-Christian. Um, one of the things in my life that I feel strongly called to do is I volunteer on a weekly basis at the Fairbanks Youth Advocates Youth Shelter, which is known as The Door. And most recently, within the last couple of weeks or so, I was in conversation with a young woman who does not name Jesus as her Savior. She represents herself as a lesbian and as a good person and as a lover of this earth and a person who is striving to be the best human being that she can be. But she was seriously harmed by Christians and the church in which she was reared. And because of that, she wants nothing to do with God. She and I engaged in conversation a few weeks ago, and one of the things that she asked me was my feelings as a, a minister toward the idea of same-sex, lifelong marriage relationships. I struggled in that conversation because I have spent months cultivating a friendship with this person. That's why she felt safe enough to ask this Christian minister what the feelings were about who she is as a human being. The words that I would say to her in that next moment could possibly be the last nail in the coffin lid of her ever being interested in seeking God or choosing Jesus. It could also be the pry bar to finally cry, pry that coffin lid off in order to bring life back into her world. And I was really challenged as I was sitting there. And I felt really stupid. For heaven's sake, I have a master's degree in spiritual formation of anybody in the room at that moment, not now, but then. Anybody in the room at that moment, I should be able to clearly articulate my faith and help someone who's listening to come to an understanding of how they could come to faith in God through Jesus Christ. But she hit me from an area in which I wasn't prepared to respond. And it really gave me pause. I can't tell you that the conversation was successful or negative. We still have relationships. She still talks with me every time we see each other. And we are friends. So at least I didn't harm the friendship. Did I point her to Christ? I don't know. 
Did I honor God? I hope so. But it really gave me some fodder to chew on and think about and process for the last number of weeks now. And there's a verse in the scriptures. It is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that I just want to read to you. 1 Peter 3.15 In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And I live that I have diligently studied the scriptures. I know the plan of salvation. I know how to articulate clearly the love of Jesus, the gospel and gift of grace, what it means to confess and repent of your sins, and how to enter into a vital, eternal, long relationship with the very living God who desires to have relationship with you. I can do that. But when it comes to gray areas in our culture, there are things that I have not adequately prepared myself for because personally, Bob Sugden hates public policy stuff. I know that it is necessary in our culture I understand that these are times in which the world is literally going to hell in a handbasket and the enemy is running rampant in the way that he is just teasing minds to go in all directions. And to try and get people centered and focused on Jesus is a very difficult thing. And I cannot be prepared for any and every eventuality. But... Maybe, now that God has brought this to my mind, I need to be sincere in the way that I prepare for the next time that I have an encounter of this nature. Because quite honestly, it's happened to me three times with three different people. You think God is trying to say something to me? You need to have an answer... So you can be my representative and my gospel will not be sullied by stupidity or ineptness or carelessness, Bob. Now, I'm not saying this to any of you. I'm saying this is what I'm hearing God say to me. Now I say all of that because this week the scriptures that I have been chewing on came from Romans chapter 8. I'm very familiar, and I've preached on them before, but this week, there's been a few things in, in a couple, three verses that have just really made me chew hard. And I wanted to share with you some of my thoughts, and I promise you, you will be leaving here frustrated and with questions. Okay? So if you will turn with me to Romans chapter 8, 
we'll be reading the first 11 verses of Romans 8. I mean, I'm reading, actually, I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. So bear with me while I get that open. I was going to read out of the NIV, but I like, I like the English Standard Version's um, Bear with me while I get it open. By the way, for those of you who I shared about with my uh, iPad and the, the, the Bible the app and how I really was frustrated that they changed it, they've fixed it. It's almost back to where it was. So, Okay, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, I could not possibly, in 20 to 30 minutes, spend, um, oh, excuse me. I could not possibly, in 20 to 30 minutes, give adequate coverage to 11 verses of Romans Chapter 8. It's just not enough time. But I wanted to read to us Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, to just give you an understanding of what I am going to be looking at, and that's verses 9, 10, and 11. You see, in this first 11 verses, or the first 8 verses, Paul is making a comparison between non-Christians and Christians. People who are in in receipt of the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and people who are still, quote-unquote, stuck in their sins. But what Paul then says, he directs, he changes his, his argument, and he says, I'm not now speaking in generalities. I am now speaking to you directly, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And then he says this little caveat. If, in fact... The Spirit of God dwells in you. There's a, there's a spiritual truth there that... <coughs> forgive me. There's a spiritual truth there that you can gloss over if you don't take the time to think about it. You are not 
in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. So, the reverse is, how do you know that you are a Christian? How do you know that you are in right relationship with God? How can you know that you are, quote-unquote, safe or saved? If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you can know. Oh, great, Pastor. How in the world do I know that? How can I recognize the Spirit? Well, he doesn't necessarily give us all of those answers, but let's move on. Verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Well, wait a second. I thought you just said in verse 9 that I have to have the Spirit of God dwelling in me. Now you're saying I have to have Christ in me in order to have life. I thought I needed the Holy Spirit in me in order to have life. That doesn't make sense. What? Move to verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Okay, wait a minute. Who raised Jesus from the dead if not God the Father? So now you're telling me that I have to have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, I gotta have Jesus and I gotta have the Father all living in me? Hello, Trinity. See, we don't even see that. We just read these things and just move on. Here in these three verses is a very powerful image for us who are Christians, not for the world. What did Paul say just a few verses back? If they're not, if they don't have the Spirit of God in them, they can't think about godly things. They can't understand God's law or God's love for them. All they know is what they want. There's their own selfish desires, their own needs, their own worries, their own concern for their own being and their own family. That's all that their whole focus is. Those of us who are in Christ are the ones who are thinking about spiritual things. We are the ones who are concerned about our eternal destiny and the eternal destiny of those who are around us. The people who aren't saved couldn't care less or worry about what was the going on in the eternal that's not their focus, but ours is. But what this is saying here is that in order to have life, you have to have God in you. And it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three in you. Now, those of us, myself included, who have had a lot of impact in our spiritual formation from the charismatic and or Pentecostal movements, to our detriment, we focus mainly on the Holy Spirit's presence and action in our lives, to the neglect of Jesus and the Father. In addition to that, I have had people in my life, I can remember specifically 
someone who came to me, a Christian, and said, why do you say when you're praying, Jesus, God, I need you to, well, because he's God, and I'm supposed to pray to Jesus. No, you're not. When Jesus' followers said to them, how should we pray? What did he teach them to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But when I'm praying to Jesus, I am praying to the Father, am I not? I don't know, are you? Who are you talking to when you're talking to God? Do you ever say, oh great Holy Spirit? Or do you just simply say, fill me with your spirit, Father? Commodity time. I want to see the power of your spirit working in my life, oh God. See, it's, it's, it's interesting. What do you believe? If you had to articulate to somebody who was asking a genuine question because they had been harmed or don't know, what do you really believe? Who are you really talking to? Who lives in your heart? Since Jesus came into my heart. Mommy, how can Jesus be in your heart? Oh my goodness, my daughter of all people called me the other day and blindsided me. If you're listening, darling, I understand you're upset because I'm talking about you in a sermon. Too bad. And she said, I don't have a question. Your granddaughter has one. Here, here's Grandpa. And it was a Trinity question. And I was like, I'm going to hum and a hum and a hum and a Here is the spiritual formation in the eternal soul of this child. Say something right at her level. And then my daughter goes, no, we're not talking about conception, Dad. We're talking about... Because I was thinking, Jesus got into Mary's womb, blah, 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 you know. No. Her question was, why does God have to have a son? How would you answer that question? This is a seven-year-old. No, nine-year-old. Nine years old, wrestling with, why does God have to have a son? And I'm the one that has to give the definitive answer. What do I believe? What do I truly believe? Can I intelligently articulate my theology to a nine-year-old so that she will come to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you folks, but that makes me cry. If we truly say that we think that people are going to go to hell because they don't have right relationship with God, and we can't clearly articulate to them why we believe that and what they need to do to understand so they can believe, then who are you? So let's look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, God, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
I go to a text study on Tuesday mornings. What that is, is it's a group of pastors and or deacons who meet every week at Tuesday, every Tuesday at 9 o'clock at Fairbanks Lutheran so that we can study the scriptures so that we can preach on Sunday. It's a Bible study for pastors, basically, so that we can help each other in our understanding of the verses that we're looking at for the coming week's sermon. I had that morning, before going to this Bible study, been walking on the treadmill in my home, and I wanted to have something to occupy my mind, so I had the TV on, and I had it on Channel 4, and on comes this show called It's Supernatural! With Sid Roth! And Sid's guest, guest today is this man who has had 195,000 visitations from angels of heaven, and he has clearly heard the voice of God, and one of these visions that this man had was that he saw the body of Christ with the wounds from the, scar, from the, uh, the, the scourging that Christ had, and in those wounds, each one was named diseases of the body. Because in Isaiah chapter 53, and let me read it to you. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5, he says, Isaiah the prophet says, Surely he took up our infirmities. Who is he? Well, scholars understand this to be talking about the Messiah, whom we understand to be Jesus, the Son of God. So, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he has taken up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, and yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. What do you believe, folks? Not what have you been taught or what have you heard. What do you believe? I heard all of this stuff on Sid Roth's It's Supernatural on Tuesday morning. And this man who truly believes that God gave him a vision using Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5 that by Christ's stripes during his scourging prior to his crucifixion, we receive physical healing in our bodies. And then three hours later, I go to a Bible study for pastors and I read chapter 8, verse 11 that says, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Well, of course he's talking about resurrection. He's not talking about life to our bodies. Our bodies are already alive. But wait a minute. If you go back... And look at this, if, if not you guys, because you don't study the words, you just read it for devotional purposes. I don't mean that unkindly, but what I mean that is you don't get into the Greek and the, and the background stuff, and you don't chew on it in the way that a pastor would, because I'm the one that has to explain it to you. So I went back and I looked. This is a great book, by the way. If you ever have opportunity to get 
the, this, this comes back when it was first published. It was published in the 60s in a six-volume set, and I literally had to scour the world to get all six volumes because it's out of print. But you can get it electronically for a Kindle. You need to get it if you're, if you're a Bible study person. It's called Word Meanings in the New Testament by Ralph Earl. It's excellent. It's, he is the leading, he was, he's passed on now. He was the leading holiness theologian in the Church of the Nazarene for the last half of the century. Or actually, for the middle part of the 20th century. But what he did was he went through the entire New Testament and took all of the hard words and then gave commentary on them. So, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the word brings life or quickened is out of the King James, if you're reading King James. And he wrote this. The thought of verse 10 is carried further in verse 11. There, are, there we are told that if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, in other words, makes his home in us, God will, by that same Spirit, quicken our mortal bodies. And that quickening is related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is the meaning of this statement? It literally means to make alive. But what is the meaning of this statement? Obviously, the most natural way to take it, to, excuse me, to take of it, take it of the believer's final glorification, the redemption of the body. One commentator named Denny writes, the indwelling spirit is that of him who raised Jesus from the dead, and as such, it is the guarantee that our mortal bodies, as well as our spirits, will have a share in immortality. Another commentator, Dean Beat, wrote, Even the mortal clay, which has been the organ of the spirit, will live forever. However, he goes on to say that in Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 15, 43-44, and verse 50, our present and future bodies will not consist of the same particles. In other words, will be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, will be changed. Another scholar says there is a difference in raised as applied to Jesus, Jesus was raised to life, and quickened, referring to our bodies. He writes, the death of Jesus was a sleep. He was asleep. He wasn't decaying. This is this one scholar. It was therefore enough just to awaken him. In our case, our body, which has been given over to destruction, must be completely reconstituted. This is well expressed by the word quicken. Then he goes on to say mortal. What does mortal bodies mean? If there's going to be a life given, a quickening, an away, a giving life, to what? To these mortal bodies. The Greek word for mortal in this passage talks about being subject to death, but still living. This has led some to suggest that Paul isn't talking here about a bodily resurrection after death, but rather a quickening of our mortal bodies in this life by the indwelling Holy Spirit. In spite of the fact that there are no leading commentators that support this view, it should probably not be ruled out completely. Okay? So, one of the leading holiness scholars in the Church of the Nazarene in the holiness movement throughout the entire 20th century said, when you're talking about this idea of bringing life to our mortal bodies, it can be and is most likely talking about our physical resurrection following our death. However, the wording of this passage can also be interpreted to understand that something is happening to these bodies 
presently while we are alive by the power of God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us. What do you believe? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of Bob could bring healing with no surgeon's tools? What happens if he doesn't? What do you believe? When you're talking to a friend of Bob's who doesn't have faith about God, the church, Christ, anything, how does Bob talk about what his belief is? And heaven forbid, what if I say something to this guy about my belief and then indeed God doesn't heal me? Do I, do I have to then defend my God? do you believe? Can you clearly articulate your belief system in a way that brings honor to God, clearly shows that you have a rock-solid foundation for your way of living your life, and helps them on their path to an understanding of who God is in their life? What do you believe? And that is the end of my sermon. At 6 o'clock tonight, in Pastor Bob and Renee's home, there will be a continuation of this discussion. You have six hours to think about it. Bring your leftovers from your lunch. We will potluck it, and just whatever comes in, we'll eat. Whoever shows up will participate in the conversation, and we will talk more about this. I told you at the beginning... I would leave you frustrated. I hope I have accomplished my task. Let's pray.